0: Hey, friends, this is the Johnster Monster of episode 12 of Shadow and Flame with Magic the Podcast. We are going to review Uncanny X Men 143 Demons. Burr, 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 burr. All right, everyone, um, this is episode 12. We're going to review Uncanny X Men 143. Merry Christmas. Guess what just came down the chimney? reads the title, or the cover, by John Byrne and Terry Austin. Um, thanks to UncannyXmen.net, uh, I googled Christmas X-Men Christmas Stories, and this was the first one I own, because I was like, well, which one do I start with? And I was like, you know, well, there's a great place to start with, the first one, and I know a thing or two of that, thanks to this i clearly started this podcast with and so we're gonna do this so the cover um cost was 50 cents it is approved by the commerce code authority in the corner box we have wolverine colossus storm kitty kurt and angel which i guess i don't remember angel being part of this team but i guess so Uncanny X-Men 143, March 1981. Uh, Cyclops, Storm, Nightcrawler, Wolverine, Colossus, Children of the Atom, Students of Charles Xavier, Mutants. Learn, feared, and hated by the world they have sworn to protect. These are the strangest heroes of all. Stanley presents the Uncanny X-Men. And this gorgeous splash page is a uh, storm being impaled by all these dinar. Digoy? Uh, demons, and the narration box reads Her name is Storm. And although in her young life she has been hailed as a goddess, she's in truth a mutant, mistress of the wind and the weather, and now a member of the Uncanny X Men, a team of mutant superheroes. The autumn night in the six eye above New York, Westchester County, she has come face to face with beings as foul as the pit that spawned them members of an ancient race that once ruled the Earth, and who mean to rule it again. Which, I don't know, do these guys ever come back ever? There are the nigari There we go. I just had to read it one more time. The Elder Gods of Legend, the ultimate evil. One of the number has attacked the X-Men in the mansion that serves as the mutant secret headquarters. Below Storm is an age-old Garen. Karen? C-A-I-R-N? Karen? That's how I'm going to say it. Those metal power sustains the creature that threatens her friends. Unless she destroys it utterly. The X-Men are doomed. And then all of a sudden the Karen like shoots at her. And it like zaps her and all the Nigari start bringing her down to the temple of it. It's as if the sun had touched, monetarily touched the earth, raw energy fueled in part by Storm's cla- classotrophic fear of being buried alive, in part by the atastic terror born of subconscious racial memories of the Nigari, explodes around her, shattering the Garin. At the same instant, the thing spawned by that Garin simply ceases to exist. Shaken by her soul, by her narrow escape, Storm serves wearily home. For details, see X-Men 96, which, of course, I don't own, but that is the first appearance of the Negari. Louise uh, Jones is the editor. One day will be Louise Simonson. As Professor Xavier, the X-Men's founder and mentor, telepathically assures her that the battle is over, the victory won. Months pass, and nature begins to heal the terrible wounds inflicted by that brief, fierce combat. The X Men move on to new challenges, new foes. They know triumph and tragedy. And in their time, the Battle of Nagari, one of their first of the new X Men fought, is forgotten. Forgotten, it may be, by the X Men, but it is far from over. Professor Xavier believed that destroying the Garen would forever seal this gateway between the Nigari dimension and Earth. He was wrong. And there's an amazing panel layout on the bottom of this um, two-page sequence. Where you see a storm fly away. It's clearly uh, transitioning to winter. Then we get a panel of winter. Then it's spring with birds out and fall leaves. And now we're back to winter again. And then we catch up with a couple, um, Douglas and Sue. I like to think that maybe Claremont's experimenting with the word Doug, and like really liking the way it's in print. And he's like, maybe I'll keep this name, perhaps. And they're up on um, just on a hilltop, just enjoying the winter. When all of a sudden, for Douglas Moore, death is virtually instantaneous. As the Nigari just grabs him. and strangle chokes him to death. In front of a. Now this panel is amazing too. Where uh, he just. The Nigari just dismisses Douglas. And lifts Sue up in the air. In front of a uh, blood moon. Which one I was reading this earlier. My son Walker D. Was like what is a blood moon. And I had to look it up. Just to make sure I you know, don't misinform a now nine year old. But it's apparently uh, when the it's a lunar eclipse, a lunar eclipse. You don't say lunar. His wife has time for a choke cry, that is ended as quickly as abruptly as her life. And when the killing is done, the nagari feeds on both body and soul. These victims are but the first of many. And'd yeah, probably be a good point time to point out the nagari is are clearly a homage to uh the alien in the alien franchise a uh, xenomorph and which this comic came out two years after the nineteen seventy nine movie and then uh four years before the eighty six aliens movie directed by James Cameron back in theaters thanks to avatar two um So here we go. Splash page. Demon. Twist the night before Christmas and all through the house. The X-Men are stirring. It's been a quiet month since their battle in Washington, D.C. With the new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Which I like the idea that these are the new X-Men. And then they just already fought the new um, Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Uh, Louise Jones gives us a nobeless-ish. Which is a great point to point out. This is Uncanny X-Men 143. Which I've said again. But it's the media issue that followed the two-part Days of Future Past. Um, So Kitty is um, still getting the hang of things. As she showed up to the mansion at the end of 38, the last chapter of the Dark Phoenix Saga. Then joins the team in 139. Memory draws a blank of what 140 is (laughs) about. And then, um, which probably a good sign. We should probably review that soon. And then, 140 and 142 are Days of Future Past. Uh, and they spent the time catching their breath, honing old skills, learning new ones. No day, no opportunity is wasted, which is why even on Christmas Eve, Kitty Pride, the newest and youngest member of the team, must spend an hour under Professor Xavier's instruction in addition to her schoolwork, learning all there is to know about the X-Men, their abilities, and their equipment. Which as I'm recording it, it's uh, December 19th, the first day of Hanukkah. So happy first day of Hanukkah to those celebrating, especially Kate Pride out there. And so Xavier's trying to be patient with Kitty as he tells her to once again start the Blackbird Ignition Procedure. And she's just like bored with the whole thing. And we get our credits finally. Writer and co plotter Chris Claremont. Penciler and co plotter John Byrne. Terry Austin, inker. Tom Orchardowski, letterer. Glynis Ween, Colors. Also, yeah, I was on yeah panic. I'm like, oh, did I not hit record? Uh, editor Louise Jones. And editor in chief Jim Shooter. And then um, Angel comes into the room in full costume, telling uh, Xavier the car is ready. They're going to be late. And Kitty's uh, thankful for the interruption as she's, uh, you know, ready to move on from the Blackbird. And Xavier is not happy about it. But Angel is trying to get them to just get moving. Um, which I should say that not only do I own this story in 143, but I also own Marvel Chores, the Pride and Terror of the X-Men, which I'm holding in my hand, but you can't see that. And it has a cool Amalgam trading card ad in the back, arriving February 28, 1996. And this book, Marvel Chores, the Pride and Terror of the X-Men, came out in 96, naturally. And it was written by Ralph Macchio, the, the Marvel writer, naturally. And I was filming through it, and I want to say there's, like, 15 chapters, and there's a part of me that wants to read this at some point. It's 15 chapters, 88 pages, and I'm like, well, what if I read, like, 22 pages an episode and be done for, like, four episodes? And I was like, well, I should do that for Halloween, like, in October. But then I'm like, well, this is a Christmas story, though. Well, I guess it's more of a nightmare before Christmas story, but... um. You know, it's an idea that's rattling in my head now. Um, <clears throat> soon in the mansion's foyer, fancy, uh, Wolverine, uh, I should say Logan, in a nice brown uh, suit, is uh, welcoming Mariko Yashida Gash- to the Xavier mansion. And she's uh, pleased to meet Xavier. And they're going out on a date. And... In this here, this is one forty three, and then one. you here, see, one sixty eight is the jerk, and then you got the Morlocks. So I think Uncanny one seventy three, literally thirty issues from now, Wolverine's gonna try to marry this broad, to disastrous effects. And then out of nowhere, Corp court, Kurt bams in, and he has a missile over, um, her head. And in the tradition of a mistletoe is deadly if you eat it, but a kiss is deadlier than you mean it Which is one of my favorite quotes from Batman Forever. Or I should say one of my favorite movie quotes, which is from Batman for Batman Returns. Um, which I tried to get Walker to watch recently and he was not having it. Which I was like, Come on, man Like I think he got to the part where Selena Kyle's falls tr- you know, off the building, and then, like, loses her mind rightfully, and then, like, he was just done, and I was like, well, you want to watch Iron Man 3? Like, it's watch a superhero Christmas movie, and I had wasted the opportunity with Batman Returns, so I want to watch that at one point soon, um, and so Mariko is taken by surprise, and then Wolverine is taken, extremely by surprise. retractable, anti team claws flash from the backs of Wolverine's hands and only Nightcrawler's ability to teleport saves him from some nasty wounds. Instantly reacting with a speed that belies his massive form, Peter Rasputin shifts to the armored form of Colossus and essentially gives him like a backwards uh, bear hug and Xavier shoots him with uh, or he shoots uh, Logan with a telepathic calming sense. As abruptly as Wolverine's sudden berserker rage begins, it ends. And Logan's just trying to quill his uh cure instincts. And he just takes uh, Mariko by the hand. And just, you know, embarrassed. His fragile male ego has been very shaken. And then Kitty, recognizing how tense everything is, has decided to lift her own mistletoe above Peter's head. And of course, mistletoes, deadly if you eat them. But a kiss is deadlier if you mean it. And she calls, says, "Merry Christmas, sexy." And then Peter just like blushes deeply, and um, Kurt makes a joke about it. Colossus is embarrassed about the whole thing. Storm says the car's wait waiting for them, and they just leave. She seems messed up that they're going on a uh, night out without Kitty. And she's being punished for not learning the Blackbird uh, instructions. But it's going to be a cute reveal for why she really couldn't come. Um, Angel is going to fly behind the card. Uh, his lady Sandy Southern and he have a long overdue date. And that he will see and pray won't see him until Easter. Which reminds me about the fun Citybro episode I just listened to that's uh, like four hours long that's all about Sandy Southern and uh they were just doing um ugh. connor Connor uh the host of Celbro was and as uh, Sarah was you know, just doing like an old school like fifties New York accent the whole time, and I'm pretty sure my mental monologue it was also done in that accent during that course of listening to that episode for like a week and um anyway so now i have fond memories of candy southern and um so kitty's back in the mansion she's realizing uh you know she's all alone on her mansion on christmas eve so she tries to call her parents but no one answers and then as soon as she hangs up the phone rings and so she's like mom and dad but it turns out it's scott scotty s on the other end of the line, in the Florida seacoast town of Shark Bay, is Scott Summers. As Cyclops, he once led the X-Men until the death of the woman he loved, Jean Grey. After that, driven by the needs, he barely understood, and a grief almost too terrible to endure, he took a leave of absence from the team. In issue 138, thank you, Louise, he's been on the road ever since. And so uh, they talk pleasantly. Then he hangs up. He thinks to himself about um, how lonely he had for Christmases in the orphanage. Little does he know that the caretaker for the orphanage, if that's what you call it, probably, I don't know, do you call them headmistresses and um, headmasters? But, you know, the orphanage where Mr. Sinister first took notice of Scotty S. Which apparently we're calling him. Then Scott... um, 'cause it's nineteen eighty one is extremely sexist, and asks this uh person, this crewmate, if he's looking for Lee Forrester, Captain of the Arcadia. I was told he was hiring crew. And then all of a sudden the man he was talking to turns out is a woman. And she says, I'm Lee Forrester. I like to my relatives as you heard and you heard right. He's like, you're a girl? And she's like, Care to try again sport? And it's like, come on, Scott. You're just not very forward thinking. I don't know how you pronounce her, her name. A l e y t y s. I mean, there's a reason why people. I imagine it's elitus. Well, meanwhile, back in New York, and Kitty donned her training uniform. She's starting a danger room sequence. Um, primary cycle, um, gymnasium, time cycle, sixty minutes. She trans- Ugh, She can't concentrates, trying to be serious, but unable to repress a giggle of excitement as she phases through the floor of the control room, literally falling through the vast empty spaces between atoms, loads of her body sliding between loads of the metal, and floats down to the floor of her danger room. She hasn't been an X-Men very long. She's not used to her powers, nascent superpowers, and using them still gives her a thrill. Which is a great point to mention that, you know, once again, 143, as she joined in 139, so it's literally four issues. But two of those issues, she was taking a long nap in her future body in days of future past, so she's only really had two adventures, or two proper issues. Uh, awaiting her is enough equipment to stock a top-rated spa. After a series of warm-up exercises, Kitty goes to work. And she's just pushing herself and um, practicing. And she makes a reference to being a teenage female on her Schwarzenegger. And then she does like a handstand on, um, so she starts off on the horse and now moving on to the parallel bars. And then like she twerks her leg a little too much and and felt a twinge in her thigh. And now since she hears a possible intruder or an intruder alarm on possibly in zone four which is a warro's attic so she runs upstairs um she thinks to herself that there's an intruder she's supposed to call the police but last year uh, she called the police last september during a big windstorm and the police showed up and it was just a tree branch that had blown through the skylight which at first i I'm pretty sure, like, when I read 143 originally, I must have read it out of order, so I didn't even connect, like, moments in time, but I I, I just think I remember being like, well, she called the police when the X-Men are at home, but, you no, know, she means literally in um, Deerfield, Chicago, she called the police and they came out, so she felt like a jerk there, so now she's just trying to, um, you know, handle things on her own. And you just tell how far away the danger room is from Aurora's attic. From like she's in the danger room, there's a great sequence where she's phasing up through the building, Then she has to phase up one more floor, and then she finally gets to Aurora's attic. She opens the door and sees all the like the windows are broken and all the, her plants are dying. Which also I don't know, there's a lot of references, or maybe not references, but a call forwards to what Paul Smith would do in his run. Also, in like one forty or one seventy three ish, whenever a punk storm has come back and, or not come back, but once P- punk storm is on the scene, and she allows her plants to die, so that happens between now and these thirty issues, and she notices the plants are immediately dead and they're just turning to liquefied goop. And then, not who, Kitty, what? And all of a sudden, she comes across the dim- the digari, and it, uh, the demon lunges, eager to claim its new succulent prey. But Kitty's too fast for it, and she phases through the floor, hoping it will shield her from her unknown pursuer. She hopes in vain. And now she's just running. And, you know, from her point of view, she doesn't even know what this thing is. And to its credit, nowhere in the comic does it make a reference to aliens. Well, no, no, I'm sorry, it does, but much later in the, um, in the book. But she uh, is just constantly phasing through walls, and she runs. But wherever she goes, the demon follows hot on her heels. And you just see like this great sequence where, like, they start off in a bedroom, and then he crashes through, and it just works um, horizontally. And reading it right to ref. So then there's like a room with like a mirror and a dresser, and then you can see Kitty's face through the one wall, but the Digari's about to go through the next one, and she's in near another bed ba- uh, bedroom. And then she's going to smarter by going up some stairs, and then she's going to phase immediately down the stairs and into um, a storage room, and then she's slowly inching her way to the um a phone. To call Xavier's a uh, Rose Royce um, mobile phone, and she's thinking to herself, like, "Well, if this was a horror movie, as soon as I reach for the phone, the monster would come out." And but she's like, "Well, it's a monster; it's not going to have that much thought." And then, lo and behold, as soon as she picks up the phone, the demon times his attack perfectly, it's smashing through the door behind her before Sprite can. Move much less, escape the claws, rip through her. She screams but does not die. And then she realizes that she is in extreme danger, like, she's not just keeping ahead of it, she needs to stay completely away from it. Like, her arm is her right arm is now numb, frozen, useless. And so, now, so you know, her leg, her thigh is a little sore, now, her right arm's numb. We have a double-page ad for Mile High Comics. Um, you can buy I- issues 6 and 7 of Uncanny for $25. Issue 129 is $5, which only came out five months earlier. So, like, clearly 50 cents, and now it's worth 10 times that. Um, 100 times that? We're not going to do math on the mic. Turtle Soup taught us that. But it's just amazing, like, you know, even issue 141 is already at $0.75, so it's immediately growing in, um, value. They're just printing classics. So Kitty's is making her way to the danger room. Once more, using her phasing ability to literally walk on individual molecules of air, Kitty ascends from the floor to the control booth. And she's worried that, um... The room can't kill the demon because of the safety protocols, but maybe she threw enough at it. Uh, it'd be enough to like harm it or slow it or just stop it. But it's taking her much longer to program the danger room with just one good hand. And right when she's ready to um, press start, Kitty dives backward, phasing through the face of the booth. The demon charges after her, shattering the armored, supposedly unbreakable glass with terrifying ease, leaving the shattered, savage computer short-circuiting in his wake. As Kitty lands, she feels the room come to life around her. The demon comes in for the kill, believing it has her cornered. And then in the Nagari's turn to... To yell in surprise and pain as the trap so carefully laid by Kitty is sprung. And all got something like, 50 like metal rods come chasing, like, burrowing at it. And although staggered by the multiple assaults, the demon is far from beaten. And so it recognizes like, dangers are coming from the floor, so it rips up the flooring, which then Kitty immediately thinks, like, well, now that you ripped up the room, the symptoms, the system's out of control and all the safety interlocks are canceled and all of a sudden you see kitty running away and the flames are hitting the Nigari and it's just well it's a flame <laughs> and so she doesn't know what it is like is it dead is it hurt like how bad is it and she was also expecting not to be witnessing this uh Terror, Like, she was going to set the room ablaze and then face through it. And then, as she left, the Nagari was going to be, you know, battered by the room. But instead, she's having to face through everything. And then she hits a force field wall, which is a random energy pattern. So, she couldn't tell where it was. And she could face through it, but she doesn't have the time. So, she, like, does a splits and, like, dodges as the Nagari... Runs into the wall and, like, bounces back. And now it's ripping up the floor again. And, uh, the monster's clearly getting mad. And she is getting tired. And she just needs a couple minutes of rest. And her adrenaline's already spiked. And now it's coming down. So she's just exhausted. And you just see uh, Nagari just, I don't know, just drawn horribly terrifying. So she phases through a wall. She, um phases down immediately and now she's in the hangar on her way to the uh, blackbird and this is where she gets the reference of um, they use them to, wait in the danger room it almost caught me but fire forced it away it's vulnerable to intense heat too bad I don't have some kind king-sized flamethrower's handy they used to fight them they used them to fight the monster in that movie it didn't work though but I remember what did oh boy I just hope it works it for me as well And that's the reference we get to the first Alien movie. Um, The underground hangar complex is a mile from the mansion, connected by a high-speed subway. The monocar can make it in less than a minute. But though it doesn't seem like much, a minute can sometimes be a very long time. Kitty hasn't even gotten halfway before the demon derails her monocar. She finishes the journey on foot, 900 meters in three minutes. Which is one meter, it's 3.3 feet, so it's like 12, I don't know, I guess it wouldn't be 1,200 meters, it'd be 9 times 3 is two twenty seven, so it'd be like 27,000 meters in three minutes. Yeah, this is why Eric Crosby tells us not to do math on the mic. Uh, ignoring the white hot poker is stabbing through her chest with airy gasping breath. Eric of Tortoise Soup, I should say. Um, because you're probably listening, like, who's Eric Crosby? Oh no, you're probably listening and be like, heck yeah, deep diving daddies, daddies, ignoring the white-hot poker stabbing through her chest <clears throat> with airy gasping breath and the blinding shards of pain from her left knee that reduce her to a hobble by the time she reaches the hangar. There, in the launch bay on the elevator that lifts it to the surface from takeoff, sits the X Men's modified SR-71 Blackbird probably the most powerful aircraft on earth is capable of circling the globe without refueling or soaring to the edge of space of flying at hypersonic speeds over five times the speed of sound like we get it we need to buy a blackbird thank you let's go on amazon type in sr 71 or even better yet drink a a thousand pepsis and send in for the code and so then kitty's just trying to write her best through Catch her breath. Remember all the sequences, because remember the issue starts with her barely memorizing it. There's an ad here for um, Dazzler by Tom DeFargo, John Romita Jr., Alfredo Alcala. Dazzler number one on sale now at comic shops and other outlets. With friends like these, she's bound to have enemies. Um, which I own a couple issues of the Dazzler comic master switch oh yeah so she's turning on the uh switches and she's like think think it's coming what do i do everything be all right and then she realizes the blackbirds on a um disc and so she's turning it around and now the blackbirds line up to the dugari two engines each rated at 20,000 kilograms of thrust flared to life at a touch of a button they're at full emergency power. Afterburners punching twin pillars of flames from the huge exhaust. From behind the Blackbird, it's likely sun finding itself, transported to the gates of hell or plunged into the heart of a star. A howling basso roar fills the hangar, as awesome in its own way as energies fire. The engines were never meant to be fired underground, and especially not at maximum thrust. They create blast waves that shake the complex like a small earthquake. Metal stress beyond endurance. Bands, shrieks, telltales in the cockpit. Flash urgent warnings. Kitty ignores them until finally, with an almost human scream, the landing gear buckles until the blackbird hurls itself across the launch pad bay into the far wall. Then, and only then, as she feels the undercarriage a collapse, does Kitty shut down the engines. Blending them with foam to prevent a fire. This silence is deafening. And Kitty's just thinking... Or no, says I'm sorry, Blackbird. I wish I could have thought of another way. <laughs> now she's thinking to herself. I must have KO'd the air cycles. The hangar's so thick with smoke. I can hardly see. And the ma- art's been amazing here. Like, right? you can just tell she's having the night. Like, she's exhausted. She has, like, sweat on her clothes. Like, right, running down her face. Her clothes are clearly dirt. Or her uniform's dirty. Like, like I don't know. It's just all of 13 and she's just d- doing the b- very best she can to not just win, or win, but to survive. The automatic sprinklers have malfunctioned too. I have to activate them manually. I better walk on air. Things are still burning and the floor is so hot I can feel it through the soles of my insulated boots. Where's the monster? Did I kill it? I had to do something. I had to. Nothing could have survived this Holocaust. Nothing. And then the bottom of page 27 from a flame comes the Nigari's hand coming for her face. She has time to scream. It's midnight before Professor Xavier's Rolls voice returns to the mansion. Icy roads and airport traffic jams cause expected delays, an unexpected obstacle from a police roadblock in Salem Center. The police were altering all the local residents, alerting all the local residents, as well as checking all strangers passing through town. There has been a series of gruesome murders nearby earlier this evening, the last uncomfortable close to Xavier's school. And Xavier feels like some type of evil um, energies around the house that he can't quite place. Colossus goes into the door, into the mansion first, um, everyone feels like they're high alert and then all of a sudden they hear a television in the living room you see Kitty all in a cute pink bathrobe and her hair's up she's taking a shower, she got some slippers on, some 80's red and white striped socks she's like yawning, oh hi Peter Peter! And like runs and like jumps on him, he's blushing already and then we see walking through the room, it's Carmen and Teresa Pride. She's like, Mom and Dad. She sees her dad. He's like, You grew a beard. Which I want to say is how I usually think of Cameron Pride as a bearded gentleman. But I could be wrong. Um and so shortly, as a gift of Hanukkah, surprise, uh Kitty gotta see her parents. And then uh, Storm whispers to her, like, Kitty, I've been upstairs to my attic. Uh Uh-oh. What precisely happened while we were gone? I was attacked by a big, ugly monster. A monster? world, you had to see it to believe it. We fought. I got lucky. I won. But on this process, we kind of wrecked the danger room. Wrecked the danger room? And the blackbird and the hangar and a lot of the house. Oh, my. Are you angry? I'm not quite sure, but from the sound of things, I'm fairly certain I should have felt terribly proud of you. It had been the closest of close calls. She was too tired and too scared to face through the demon reached for her. It could have killed her and had it got its hands on her, but it was dying on the feet, its unearthly form crumbling to dust with every step. It tried. It made a supreme effort. It failed. Alone on Christmas Eve, Kitty Pride on her rite of passage. The supreme test of her abilities, her intellect, her courage, her self. She passed. And the last image is literally the charred hand of the digari on the ground as it just burned to ash. Next, the return of Cyclops. X mail And there's a note here from Chris Claremont that now I'm thinking about what 143 is. We open with an announcement, one that in many ways I wish I didn't have to write. As many of you no doubt know, this having been widely reported in the various comics news magazines, John Byrne has resigned as penciler on the X-Men. This is his last issue. is also Terry Austin's last issue. An inker on the book in all my years as a writer, I have never worked with a good creative team as nice of a pair of people as John and Terry. Together they reach Olympian levels of artistic quality and consistency. They would be missed. That's the sad news. And for the good news, after next issue's sublimative interim art job by Brent Anderson, one of the finest young penchers working in comics today, the penciling reigns will be returned to the man who co-created the new X-Men in the first place, Dave Cockrum. His initial issue is already finished and believe me, it's a knockout. Nothing lasts forever. Any change, no matter how beneficial it may turn out to be, is wrenching. Dave's departure... Three years ago, closed the first chapter in the history of the X-Men. John and Terry's departure closes the second. I wish them well, and I really look forward to what the next three years will bring. Your response to this book has been very phenomenal. I and Dave intend to keep it that way. Chris Claremont. And all of a sudden, that's what I realized. Like, oh well, yeah, 143. John Byrne, Terry Austin in on a legendary issue. Like, this is Kitty Pryde's Rite of Passage. The welcome to the X Men. Hope you survive the experience. Experience, and Kitty um, passes. And I want to say the next issue they're rebuilding the mansion, but um, it's something like all future X Men members will have to do. I know when Rogue joins the team, the cover literally states, "I hope you survive the experience," and. I'm pretty sure Jubilee had one too and maybe Pixie as well. Wait, whoever the next introductory character is has a right of passions they gotta do. Um people with writer um letters was doctor Philip S. Scott from Washington DC. Um Oh hey Kurt Busick from forty one. Oh, I was about to say his address, which I'm sure he doesn't live there, but, but Kurt Busick, let's read this his letter. To the editor, I have a complete collection of X-Men. My first issue was 37. Since then, I've been an avid fan of the book through the old and new teams, but 138 is my last issue. I quit. The change from the old X-Men to the new X-Men was fairly simple to adjust to because the book was still ex- ex- excellently scripted and drawn. But for the past two years, since 113, I've watched the book degenerate and watched the X-Men become a per- Perversion of what they once were, watch you twitch and mangled characters you virtually created. I first decided to stop buying during the Hellfire Club storyline, but held on for sentimental reasons and a vague hope that things would get better. During the Dark Phoenix story, I began to scri- decide to quit, but upon hearing that the conclusion would be, decided to stick around till Cyclops left. And now I no longer justify buying the X-Men, not even to help keep my collection complete. Each each issue hurts too much. I love the X-Men. If you treat them as they deserve, I would still be a faithful supporter. But until matters change, you've lost yourself a reader. Kurt Busiek, who by far is my favorite Avengers writer. Like, I can't even think of a second place person. That's how high in regard I have opinion from Chris Claremont writes, response. I'm sorry you feel that way, Kurt. Unfortunately, one person's dark age is another person's renaissance. What you saw as a perversion of the book and its characters, others saw saw as some of the finest issues in the series. We do our best to make our readers happy, a logical course of action, considering that if they become unhappy, they wouldn't read a book, and it and we wouldn't be here. But the way we do it is by trusting our instincts and abilities so long as we produce those books and comics not something X-Men or creative humans not programmable robots that's the way it has to be the better or worse hopefully for better Chris Which now I want to tweet at Kurt Busick and be like did you quit reading when Scott left or did you come back shortly thereafter Um, and the third letter is from Mark Yanko from Alicolopa Pennsylvania Next issue, a long-awaited event—the return of Cyclops—is a story unlike anything that yet appeared in the X-Men, wherein Scott Summers, with the help of a macabre, macabre Man Thing, takes a macabre. ugh man—I don't know if it's my bad eyesight or the inking bleeding, but it's just—it says my eyesight. Man Thing takes a nightmare journey through his past that. He never likely to forget, no matter how much the he might wish to, or how hard he might try. His foe, despair, but spelt in a cool Marvel wave. D apostrophe s p a y, r e. Someone got paid extra for that. I hope. The stakes is immortal soul. The title, not even death. Chris Claremont, October. I don't know it's ten hyphen six zero, but I don't know. Oh oh eighty. October eighty. It it might be also because of the issues. It's blending a little. Um, so I don't know why I'm gonna try to do this, but the Mighty Marvel checklist, Marvel two and one seventy three, the thing in Lost in Infinity. I oh mean, I can't even read it. It's like it starts with a B perhaps. Um, so now I don't want to read it any of the other ones. Amazing Spider Man two fourteen the Frightful Four are out for the heads of Spidey and the Submariner. X-Men 143, Kitty fights alone against the demon of X-Men HQ. Oh, Demon Invader. Spectacular fifty two, Captain America two fifty five, Thor three oh five, Micronauts twenty seven. Hey, twenty seven, isn't that the one Kitty Pry- or uh Kurt shows up in? Uh, Ghost Rider 54, Savage She-Hulk 14, oh yeah, and don't worry about John Byrne, like he, I think he goes straight to Fantastic Four with this, right, and then he goes to She-Hulk and has a legendary career, so he, he leaves for grander things, Incredible Hulk 257, Avengers 205, Showdown with the Yellow Claw, Defenders 93, Um, ROM 16, The Dire Wraths of All Witch Wrath, Man-Thing 9, Fantastic Four 228, The Secret of Franklin Richards, Marvel Team-Up 103, Spidey and Ant-Man vs. Taskmaster, Trainer of Supervillains, Conan 120, Marvel Tales 125, Iron Man 144, Star Wars 45, Hey, Dazzler number one, Her Own Mag at Last, run don't walk to your local comic collector shop and get a hold of this the marvel event of the year moon night 6 master of kung fu 98 and marvel spotlight number 1 and i think that might conclude the comic and it do all right everyone well thank you so much for listening that was uncanny x-men 143 um so this is gonna be our Christmas episode and then on next Monday, ideally, I'm gonna try to do something special for the pod. So please come back. Um if you will also please give a uh, subscribe and uh, write a review. Really appreciate that. It really helps the podcast out. Um you can follow the blog of uh, Shadow Flame with Magic dot com. Um you can follow me on Twitter and Tumblr and YouTube at, at Jacko Siii. Love to hear from you. Um on YouTube I just uploaded a video where on for Fortnite where I won a match as Doom Slayer from the hit games uh the Doom series. Um you can follow the blog on uh Twitter at SNFWM uh, and spelt out as well as on tumblr or not tumblr uh probably you should do tumblr um on instagram which i don't know did i say instagram no you can follow me on instagram as well as Jacko s-i-i-i and um thank you so much for listening and have a merry christmas and a happy hanukkah and on um, kwanzaa and I'm leaving things else, and I regret trying the name Holidays. But thank you so much, everyone, and we'll see you next time. All right, bye.